Welcome to the DermVet Podcast. I'm Dr. Ashley Bourgeois, a board-certified veterinary dermatologist practicing in Portland, Oregon with animal dermatology clinics. I'm also a mom of two, just trying to find the balance like everyone else. Let's learn to ditch the itch, cytology, everything, and make derm more fun than frustrating. Welcome back to another episode of the Derm Vet Podcast. Today, I want to talk about epidermal barrier function and why that's important. A lot of times when we think of allergies, we think of antipyretics, anti-inflammatories, the workup, and those are all extremely important. But I just want to give a brief overview of why we care about epidermal barrier function. And it is something that has gained you know, more and more popularity, especially in the last decade, as far as managing allergies and the research that's out there as we learn more about atopic dermatitis and different forms of allergies and keratinization disorders because uh, we learn more microscopically about the skin. And what we're learning is that epidermal barrier and the repair of that is actually an extremely important part of managing derm disease. We know that atopic dermatitis is has a genetic component to it. So there are certain breeds that we see uh, more commonly, so like Labrador Retrievers, West Highland White Terriers, French Bulldogs, um, English Bulldogs. But we're also learning over time that the roots of exposure of what we used to think are different. So historically, allergies to the environment would be thought more as like an in inhaled thing. So kind of like us, we'd inhale things and maybe that would cause our allergies. But we've learned that with dogs and cats, the epicutaneous route is actually the most important. So they absorb these pollens on their skin and then they end up having issues like infections and pruritus that can really be a, a, a bother when we're dealing with these cases because there's so many different factors that we're managing in them. And maybe this is why we see certain areas like the paws when they're walking around, um, you know, with no shoes on or the limbs or the belly or the armpits where they don't have as much hair. Maybe that's why we're seeing more of these areas affected because we are having that epicutaneous route. So we do know because of the genetic nature of allergies and some of the areas we're seeing in some of the studies that epicutaneous is really the most important route. And that's a bit different than say people with their allergies. Atopic dermatitis is a true disease we see in people. And when we think of environmental allergies, what we commonly experience as people, that's actually different than true atopic dermatitis. And so when we talk about allergies, there's an inside out hypothesis, and that is like your insides are reacting to the outside. You get this increased allergen specific immunoglobulin E to these allergens and your body shoots out all this inflammation, but outside in that's actually looking at that primary defect in the skin barrier. So you get penetrations of allergens and microbes through that epidermis and you get increased contact and exposure because they go through those little cracks and crevices that allergic pets have and that causes your immune cells and your inflammatory response to occur. So when they look at studies um, at trans epidermal water loss and barrier function in people and in canines, what they find is an increased amount of that. That means that you're essentially losing more water and moisture, causing drier skins, having decreased ceramides 
because of these kind of little cracks and crevices that are present within your skin. So when we evaluate things like treating the atopic patient, that's why you often see us as dermatologists prescribe a lot of shampoos and mousses and, you know, topical fatty acids, because besides stopping the pruritus, we also want to think about repairing the epidermal barrier. What we find by doing things like uh, repairing the epidermal barrier is we can reduce things like recurrent infections. So if I have a pet get bathed, you know, once a week with something that has a ceramide in it or something to help kind of restore that epidermal barrier, besides treating infection, I'm also helping to provide more moisture to that skin and make it so besides just not being itchy, we're not having dry skin and not having those little cracks and crevices as a way to reduce infection, reduce dry skin, reduce the flakiness that owners don't want. So when we think of atopic dermatitis, you want to think of a disrupted barrier function that you do get that increased transepidermal water loss, and it'll actually contribute to a thinner, more compact stratum corneum. And that is the top, top layer of the skin that sheds off. When that happens, we get that increased incidence of pyoderma in that dried skin. So when I'm managing these cases, I'm looking at them from a few different angles. One, I want to make them comfortable. To me, that gets broken down to antipyritics if needed. Um, And then, and that's like Apoquil, Cytopoint, steroids, Atopica, just depending on that case. And then the other portion of that antipyritic is finding infection. So doing my cytology, making sure that we're dealing with that infection. So I think of, do we need systemic things to treat that infection? Do we need systemic things to make the pet more comfortable? Then I'm also thinking, what can we do to minimize the use of chronic medications long-term? So while we're working up the allergies, let's assume they're already on good fleet control and we've ruled out a food allergy. So then what can we do long-term to keep the pet comfortable, number one, but number two, be proactive and see if we can be on less chronic medications or use them more sparingly. So for me, that is going to be things like allergy testing them and putting them on allergen specific immunotherapy because that will allow me to have the best chance to desensitize that patient and not allow their allergies to get worse and hopefully get off medications or at least not use them as often. But the other thing I'm looking at long-term is what do I do to restore that epidermal barrier so that I can truly um, not have as many infections or be on as many medications. So it's very similar to my process of using immunotherapy. So I will rely on things like lots of bathing. Um, Not only do a lot of the products have things like chlorhexidine or salicylic acid, but a lot of them also have things that help restore my epidermal barrier. So I'm preventing infection through those um, antiseptic properties. I'm getting pollens off the skin because they're actually bathing. And then I'm trying to restore that epidermal barrier through the products that I'm choosing, which is why I really want them to be on certain topical therapies, not just something over the counter that's not helping us in all the ways that it could be. The other thing that we'll sometimes use are fatty acids. So there's a lot of, you know, debate over exactly how much fatty acids do you need? And we're going to have a podcast episode about that because we argue over, you know, the importance of ratios of omega-3s, 
being the most important in derm, omega-6s, um, you know, what's the true dose that we use for things like omega-3s. So I personally like to, I will use oral fatty acids. I tend to rely more on the topical fatty acids just because the owners don't have to do it as often. It's something that we're putting right on the skin. I can have them focus it on areas that um, are more affected. So I like to use things like, you know, the Dermascent products once a week after they bathe. I just find that that's really helpful and my owners really like it. It's natural and it gives them something to do and really spot treat those areas. Um, the other thing that I am starting to rely a bit more on are, um, nutritional aspects that can improve the epidermal barrier. So I used to just get through the diet trial um, say we know they're not food allergic and just say, okay, we're at the end of the diet trial. You know, you can really feed whatever you want at this point, as long as it's balanced and you know, a good brand. But now if we get to the point of a diet trial, we're done with it. And owners ask, well, what do you think I should feed? You know, some people are exacerbated after a diet trial and they don't want to listen to anything else you have to say. But owners often ask me like, well, okay, but what should I feed? Is there anything you suggest? And so I am actually starting to shift the way I used to think about this um, and rely more on those nutritional diets that are truly meant to help restore the skin for atopic patients. Um, and there's two main diets to help with that, the Royal Canaan Skin Support and the Hills Derm Defense. So I'm starting to utilize those more because if the owners are willing to continue on some form of diet, dogs got to eat right? So brands I trust with science and research I trust. Um, and if that allows us to restore the epidermal barrier and no matter what the pet's going to eat, so it's one less thing that owner can do and it can be more confident that they're going to feed the exact amount that says on the bag. So they're going to get the exact, you know, amount of the fatty acids and all the other benefits that are within those different diets. And they both have their pros and cons. Um, then that's going to allow me to take one thing away from the owner. Like instead of just giving capsules of fatty acids, now they're just going to feed this supportive diet for the epidermal barrier. So that's the really fun thing about allergies is you really get to utilize all of these different therapies based on, you know, that particular client and that particular patient. So when I actually stop and tell owners why buying, you know, a prescription shampoo that has phytosphingosine in it or a ceramide in it is going to be more beneficial to us than something over the counter they bought at a pet store that doesn't really have anything in it to be helpful for us. Most owners are willing to invest in that. When I explain why we could go on a supportive uh, diet, that's going to help that epidermal barrier, um, you know, versus something that they're going to get at a local store that's not going to be helpful for us, then a lot of owners are willing to do that. So you just have to take the time to explain, you know, by restoring the epidermal barrier, we're hoping that we will end up on less medications and with less infections, but doing it in a way that's, you know, safer and well-tolerated and looking at the pet as a whole versus just, you know, the traditional medications we're giving. So I hope that's helpful. I find epidermal barrier really fascinating and I find a lot of owners can really understand it. Like I kind of tell them it's like, you know, if you have really, I, my family's from Minnesota. So I'm like, if you're like in the dead of February and you know, you have that really dry cracked skin, it's inflamed, it's irritated, it's itchy. Like if we can help 
help restore that, then my hope is that we're going to make your pet much more comfortable. And maybe we can see if it will be helpful for us to be less dependent on medications. This is going to be something that's a chronic disease process. So the more we can stack things in our favor in a safe manner, the better off we are. So I hope that's helpful and that you guys will end up finding epidermal barrier as exciting and fun as I do. Thanks guys.